Hi. How's everybody doing? Feels kind of quiet in here. Huh? The sun is shining. We'll take that. Yeah. Last night, I don't know if it was in prophetic or just in the natural, I got a call from my wife, Jane, who was at the prayer session and at the end of the uh, 8.30 time slot, uh, it was flooding. <laughs> the Holy Spirit was rushing in <laughs> and also actual water. So um, let's uh, take just a, a few moments and be quiet before the Lord. Um, I've got a lot to say this morning. I want to make sure that I say what God has for us. And so let's quiet our hearts before the Lord and let God speak to you. Open your heart to him and tell him you want to hear. God, these are the hearts, minds, souls, bodies you created. Here we are before you. I ask, Lord, that... um, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as we look at the scriptures that you um, formed for us, that you gave to us, that we would see them illuminated, understand them deeper than understanding, Lord, we ask that we could live them and walk them out. We thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to do so and ask that you now visit us, God, with grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I don't um, I don't know why you came today. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> if we were to ask, why did you come today? We might get eh, 120, 130 different answers why you came. I don't know why you came, but I know why you're here. And maybe that sounds funny, but here's what I believe with all my heart. You are here this morning because at the deepest part of your Uh, created being, you long for life. I don't think you just came to hear great worship, good teaching, just interact with people. I think you came because deep down, your longing desire is for the life that Jesus promises. And that's what draws people to, to any place where Jesus is worshiped. Certainly what draws people to the vineyard. They want the presence of God. And um, I feel personally privileged that, we, that I get to be a part of leading a people that are hungry for God's presence. So it's a good thing. Um, that being said, I'm going to talk for a long time. I got, about <laughs> I got about 80 minutes of stuff to say here. I don't know what I'll say, but I know God has a word for us this morning. Um, I do have more notes than Dave had last week, though. If you remember the post-it notes, look, see, I... I got them in there highlighted and everything. Some of them I'll even say. Okay. Um, two weeks ago, I spoke about discernment, about wisdom. How is it that we know what God's will is? Um, you, you can't do God's will unless you know what God's will is. But today I want to move past discernment, past just knowing God's will, to obedience, which is doing God's will. They, they go together. What's the point of knowing what God has for you if you never actually do what God has for you. Knowing his commands if you never actually obey them. Uh, so there's discernment, knowing, and then there's obedience, doing. John fourteen twenty three, Jesus said, All who love me will do what I say. 
my Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. So to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. To love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is to obey the commands that he's given us. It's a little uh, spoiler alert for the end of the message, but right there in John 14, Jesus gives the key to obedience. He says, when you, when you obey me, then my Father will come, and we will make our abode with you. We'll make our place with you. Obedience comes out of intimacy. And that, that's, just, that's just John 15, Jesus, abide, with, abide in me, and my words abide in you. You know, that's just it's Christianity 101. It's following Jesus 101, that obedience comes out of intimacy. So we're going to go after what it means to lean into obedience this morning. But I, I want to preface all of that with obedience uh, doesn't earn love. Obedience comes out of a heart that has been loved. That's how parents help children learn obedience. It's your love, your known. We know what's best for you. Now do what we say because we love you. And it's the same with our Heavenly Father. The question is, how do we actually obey what God has told us? And I would like to submit to you this morning that the commands of Jesus carry their own promise of power. When Jesus says, do this, don't do that, that command itself carries the promise of power. Because God is a good father. God is not going to instruct his children to do something that he won't turn around and enable them to do. It doesn't mean that God will obey for us. But it means that if God has instructed us to obey, he's going to give us the power to do it. I'd like to say it's just a zap, and then you never have to worry about disobedience. That's not my personal experience. If that is your personal experience, I'd like you to come forward right now <laughs> and lay hands on the rest of us. We live in the tension of the kingdoms, right? I mean, the kingdom is here because Jesus said the kingdom is among you, but the kingdom is coming too. So we deal with this power to obey and this struggle sometimes to obey. As we talk for the next 20, 25 minutes, um, I want to I tell you I'm not serving you a prepackaged meal of Scripture this morning. I'm, I'm, I'm not giving you the uh, one, two, three, here are all the courses I can't obey for you, is what I'm trying to say. But what I think the Lord's given me this morning is the recipe for obedience. So what I want to give is, here are the ingredients for obedience. And I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will lead you, as you take notes and listen and pray, into walking out and creating a life of obedience with the part, in the partnership of the Holy Spirit. I'll give you the ingredients, but I can't obey for you be honest i can hardly obey for me <laughs> so uh i'm 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 inviting you this morning to listen if i'm talking to a person who's struggling with any type of sin let's say i'm talking to a man who's dealing with with lust pornography i talk to lots of men like that the, the end result is jesus wants them to obey and so i'm not saying that obedience is relative you know the laws. The, the commands of Jesus are the commands of Jesus. But the way we access the promise of power and the way we walk out our, our obedience is as different as the created people in the room. So I'm going to give you a recipe, and then the Holy Spirit's going to help you discern, how do I walk this out in my life? Did that make more sense when I said it than it seemed like when I was saying it? <laughs> Jeff, no. 
Give me something. All right. <laughs> We're going to start in 1 John chapter 5. Uh, I'm, I don't have any verses on the screen. Give Ed, I give Ed the day off, all right? But uh, I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, open to 1 John chapter 5. If you have a device that has a Bible on it, open to 1 John chapter 5. If you've memorized the Bible in your brains, open to 1 John chapter 5. If you need a Bible, we've got a uh, couple up on the sides here. Now I'm going to skip around a lot, but this is where we're starting. 1 John chapter 5, and this is uh, verses uh, 11 to 15. <clears throat> and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. There's amazing promise in those four or five verses. Amazing promise. And the promise, before we even get to obedience, the promise begins with Jesus, uh, John's declaration by the Holy Spirit that anyone who has Jesus has eternal life. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, he lives within you, his blood has covered your sin, past, present, future, and you are living in eternal life. Hear that. Not just destined for eternal life. Not just, you know, you go 50, 60, 80, or in the case of my great-grandmother, 106 years out of stubbornness. <laughs> I didn't say that. My dad said that. <laughs> and my great-grandmother would have agreed. You don't, I'm not saying you just go 60, 70, 100 years and then, then you enter into eternal life. No. Um, John 17, Jesus said, to know me is to, have, is to know eternal life. Jesus is life. We just go through the scripture. Jesus is life. So when John says, he who has the Son has life, what he's saying is if Jesus lives within you, he is your Savior, whether you gave your heart to him a minute ago during the offering, or a hundred years ago, you have eternal life. Not just beginning at the end of your life, but an eternal kind of life right now. Think about that. I'm going to ask the question, are you living an eternal kind of life? Are you living out the eternal kind of life that Jesus promised? So the first part of our passage, if we have Jesus, we have life. If we don't have him, if we've not believed, we have no business saying we have life. <sighs> Veering off. I was at a funeral yesterday. I wasn't doing it. I was just at a funeral of a relatively distant relative. And I, I love the whole church, right? I mean, we're a kingdom people. I love the whole church, but I grieved through the funeral. And I didn't grieve just because of the loss of this person. I grieved because everything about the service seemed to indicate that God made us, incarnated, in our, incarnates us, then we die and we go back to him. 
and that our, our decisions in life have no impact on our eternal destiny. What I heard yesterday was grab life by everything because this is it, and then you go back to heaven. And, and again, I want to be kind, but I want to speak the truth. What I heard is an excellent humanistic message. We have everything we need. We can be great. We can have an awesome life. And then we just float into eternity. And I'm just here to say, I look at the Bible and I say, no, that's not true. There is life eternal to be given, but it's in his son. The speaker started in John 14. I'm veering off. The speaker uh, started in John 14. Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions. And, and I go to prepare a place for you. He, he must have said that three times. What he never said was uh, verse 5 and 6 of that same chapter. Thomas said, where are you going? Because we don't know how to get there. And then Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I grieved because I felt like people went out with false assurance. No condemnation on that pastor or that church. That's not my point. My point is to you gathered here today in my congregation. <laughs> he who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. If you've been walking in and out of churches for your entire life but never met Jesus, never placed your faith in Jesus, his death as the, as the payment for your sin and said, Jesus, save me, then today is not a day of condemnation for you. Today is a day of invitation for you. And Jesus says, here I am, standing at the door, knocking. And if anyone opens the door, I'll come in. See, it's just John 14 again, right? I'll come in and I'll be with him. Intimacy, which breeds eternal life and obedience in this life. There. We have to hear the gospel over and over again. And we as believers, no matter how many times we hear it, we have to, put to, to every day in our lives, would do what Jesus said in Mark 1, 1, 14 and 15. Repent and believe the good news. Isn't that a part of obedience? Is that every day we walk into the world and we got to repent of thinking we can handle it on our own today. we got to believe the good news that Jesus has saved me, Jesus will keep me, and he will empower me to walk out his will in my life. That is the good news. But if we know him, then we also can trust him, and we can trust him, God the Father, because he knows us. And Jesus, chapter Jesus has walked through a life like we Hebrews chapter 4, 14 to 16. Writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus, the one who goes between us and God, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. The verse repeats. We have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're sometimes tempted to believe that for Jesus, obedience was easy. Right? I mean, who hasn't thought, okay, you're praying, you're in the midst of struggle, and you say, well, Jesus, it was easy for you, you're God, right? Okay, well, let's not forget the other part of the incarnation. Fully God and fully man. Let me tell you how I understand that. It means that Jesus walked in this life, the scripture says, tempted in every way like us, which means like us, Jesus could have sinned. Just let that one settle into you. If Jesus could not have sinned, how do we take any comfort from Jesus walking a holy life? Like, what's, what's the big deal? He was God. He couldn't sin if he tried, right? The incarnation's crucial to our faith. The incarnation, God came down, descended, incarnated, made flesh, and then walked through life just like we walk through life. Tempted in every way, and yet did not sin. It's so important that we recognize the incarnation of Jesus, because that's where we get our solace. That's where we get our comfort. That's where we get our confidence to go before Jesus in the time of our own trial and say, Jesus, help me. Because you've been there. You did it. You went through it. Hebrews 12, 1-4. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's all the believers who have walked through this difficult life before us. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So much comfort in that. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So so the, the writer to the Hebrews is saying, as you deal with sin, temptation, and struggle, don't look at yourself, look to Jesus. Because he began faith, and he's perfecting faith. And look at him, and consider him. He goes on to say this, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. I am not the only one, I'm sure, in the room who has come to a struggle against sin, whether one sin or a sin that comes back over and over and over again and say, you know what, I'm done with this. I, I'm, I, can't, I, can't, do, I can't do it. I, this, it. It beat me, right? But the scripture is saying the reason that we can take heart, not be weary, have confidence is because we can look to Jesus who went through it. And the scripture says, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. Now, some of you take that as a, like, oh, that's a big weight on my shoulders. <laughs> now Randy wants blood out of me. No, it's not at all the point. The point is, in our struggle against sin, empowered by God, we look to God, who walked through the struggle just like us, and resisted to the point of shedding blood. Let us look to him for encouragement. If he can do it, we can do it. Do you know Jesus obeyed the Father in the same way that we obey the Father? 
not because of his divinity, but because in his humanity, he submitted his spirit to the father of all spirits. And then the power of the Holy Spirit came upon him and he walked out in obedience. We have the same recipe for obedience that Jesus had. That's good news. (laughs) We have all the same stuff on the table to make that loaf of obedience. What a stupid analogy. (laughs) To create a life of obedience that's refreshing, that brings life to others, that witnesses to the fragrance of the gospel out in the world. My point, (laughs) if you have missed it, obedience is not necessarily easy. So don't be discouraged when you come up against sin and you feel like you're going to fall. Don't be discouraged. If you are struggling with sin, praise God. It means you haven't given in yet. Right? Sometimes we think, man, I'm just getting beaten again. I'll forget it. I'm over. No, don't grow weary in doing good. Keep at it. Jesus is there with you. Just because you're having difficulty obeying doesn't mean you've lost it. It just means you get to look to Jesus. You get to look to Jesus. What's the verse of that song? Grace and love like mighty rivers pour incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss the guilty world with love. Every time we face difficulty, trial, and Jesus is saying this way and we're saying that's hard, I want you to imagine the torrent of heaven, like the the rushing flood of love and grace and justice and peace that's at our disposal when we walk into God's will for our lives. We have confidence before God because he's given us an eternal kind of life. Jesus has walked it as one of us and yet without sin so we can look to him and he'll never never turn and condemn he will always turn with compassion and invite us to follow him. But it might mean some difficulty. So why does it matter? Why does John, in his epistle, begin this section with this thing about eternal life? That's what was messing with me all week. Like, I really want to talk about the power to obey, and I promise I'll get there. But I had to ask the question, why did John preface that about access and confidence in prayer with this sense of eternal life. Here's what I think. Knowing that we have an eternal kind of life, not just a life that will, be, that will go on forever, but an eternal, Jesus-filled kind of life right now changes our perspective on this life. If this is all that there is, like we just go our 80 years and croak, and then nothing. If this is all there is, then fearful, a fearful scarcity mentality makes perfect sense, right? Like if this is all, and then we die, and, and we've got no outside external being of love to help us, then our fearful, anxious, striving, scarcity mentality, it makes perfect sense. You're on your own. You better gather all you can, because no one else is looking out for you, right? If this is all there is, But if we are resident within eternal life, changes everything. If life does not end when we die, but goes into the next level of transformation eternally, then we can view this life 
from a sense of confident abundance mentality, right? All of a sudden, we don't have to get everything for ourselves. Okay, Jesus, here I am. 60 more years, it's hard. It's difficult. But you promise power. You look for faithfulness. And at the end of this time of difficulty, I get eternity of transformed glory. 60 years difficult, eternity of glory. That's a really good deal. That's a really good deal. I'm not saying we earn eternity with our suffering, but I'm saying eternity changes our perspective on our suffering. Oh, Jesus, you did it for the joy set before you. You endured the cross. You despised the shame. And now you're sitting at the right hand of God. I can do that, right? We look to Jesus. I can... I can say no to the flesh one more time. I can say no to the flesh 12 more times. I can say no to the flesh for the next 60, 70 years, one day at a time. Because why? This suffering is building up for me an eternal weight of glory. Paul, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, 5. The kind of life that we have determines the kind of life that we live. So if you wake up in the morning, think this is all I got in life, I'm just going to go through it, and then I don't know what happens after that. We're going to live a life that, of that kind of uh, anxiety. But if we wake up in the morning and recognize, I am existing in eternal life, and Jesus is resident within me, then it changes the life I live. What does an eternal life look like today? certainly doesn't mean giving in to that false satisfaction. It means looking to Jesus. So a question for the morning, are you living a temporal or an eternal life? What is your perspective on your life? Are you living from an eternal perspective, seeing as the guy who discipled me used to say, this little dot, are you living for this little dot, your 60, 70, 80 years? Are you living for the line of infinity? Man, that helped me every time. Every time he'd say that, he'd say, are you living for the little dot? Are you living for eternity? And it would just like empower me with grace and with faith. Like, I'm going to go after Jesus because I'm looking forward to eternity. We have confidence to approach God because Jesus has done it and he's there and he's waiting for us. So we have his life and we know from the 1 John 5, he hears us when we pray according to his will, right? God's will is for us to obey. Can anyone find a verse in the Bible that says God's will is for you to disobey him? Okay, going once, twice, none of those, all right. So God's will is that we obey his commands. In fact, that's what love does, John 14, 23. So we, if we ask for power to obey, that is to love him, we know that he hears us. And if he hears us, praying according to his will, then we can know that we have what we have asked. Randy translation, the power to obey is embedded in the command. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. It means that you are able, because of the command issued you, to love your neighbor as yourself. When the, when, the, when, the, when the command says, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you, within that command is embedded the power for you to forgive. 
That's good news. The power is embedded in the command itself. It's right there. It's resident. Zechariah has given me an amen. Thank you. So within the command to obey lies the promised power. But there's also a process for obedience, and that's intimacy. See, intimacy is the process for obedience. Obedience doesn't come out of fear. Obedience comes out of love, right? I mean, how how many were parented by people that that thought obedience came out of fear, (laughs) right? How'd it work? And now we're learning because we're being refathered by our Father in heaven. No, obedience is born in love. John 14, 21, I read it at the beginning. He who has my commandments and keeps them is is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus says, you want to obey me, I'll give myself to you. You have access to everything I had and have before the Father in heaven. Obedience is born from intimacy, and it multiplies in intimacy. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. Just listen to this one. For the love of Christ controls and compels us, because we have concluded this, that one, that is Jesus, died for all, therefore all died, And he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for their sake. I've struggled with that one through the years. The love of Christ compels, constrains me. What does it mean? If you've been here a while, you've heard me say this before. Is that Jesus' love for me or is that my love for him that compels and constrains me? And and you know the answer, right? Yes, that's the answer. Is it God's love for me that compels me and constrains me? Yes. Is it my love for him that compels me and constrains me? Yes. That's intimacy. Love on both sides, before and behind, meeting in our spirits to say, you're loved by the Father, and from your love by the Father and for the Father, you walk out in obedience. That's what it looks like out in the world. We're compelled and constrained by love. And so finally, we get to, we can expect power to obey his will for us. Remember from the, the first, our first uh, week in this series, the definition of promise. Is a de- uh, promise is a declaration of God that gives the recipient the right to expect its fulfillment. God wants us to obey. We ask for grace strength, will to obey, that's according to his will, we can be sure we have what we ask. We have the power to obey. Did you ever notice that God uh, often seems to meet you at the level of your expectations? Maybe we expect too little in this area. Maybe we've been... uh, kind of given a bill of goods from the society that says, you know what, obedience, holiness, that is really passe. We don't do that anymore. We don't need that anymore. Everything's relative. Hey, that's your truth. It's not my truth. Is there really truth, right? Jesus says, I am the truth. And he he empowers our obedience to his command. 
he, he promises it right in the midst of our difficult lives that we can obey. What does it look like for us to lean into the promise of power to obey the commands of Jesus? I think it looks like faith. It looks like courage. It looks like confidence. It looks like joy. It looks like abandonment to God. Don't raise your hands because this is a condemning question, all right? How many of you have walked up to sin, whatever your thing is, all right? Whatever it is, and you know. Walked up to your thing and you think, Oh, what the heck. I've messed up a thousand more times. Why not one more, right? Well, I want to give you a new way to look when you get to that spot. What if there was a different kind of reckless abandon in your life? What if it was walking right up to that and saying, you know what? A thousand times before, I've gone the easy way. What if I recklessly abandoned myself to Jesus right there? What if I, what if I recklessly abandoned myself? And, and thought for the moment, wonder of wonders, I have the power within me to obey. Wait, Jesus faced this. Jesus lives in me. Wait, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. Wait, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Wait a second. I mean, it's a different view on that old, you know, pattern of, oh, what the heck, what's one more? God will forgive me, right? We've done enough of that. I've done enough of that. How about reckless abandon to God's love? God, I'm going to trust you as I, as I lean into obedience, as I step over the edge into, who I don't know how you're going to meet my need here because I'm used to getting it over here. I don't know how I'm going to feel your acceptance if I don't fill in the blank. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the day if I don't fill in the blank. I don't know how I'm going to deal with my raging emotions if I don't fill in the blank. And here's Jesus standing, John 7, 37. Jesus said, anyone who's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And if anyone believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. You know what that says to me with the chills going up and down my body? That says to me that the refreshment, the power, the sustaining um, ability, divine ability, to obey and to feel God's grace, it's resident within because Jesus is here. I am not saying, come on, let's steal ourselves with human zeal to be better. No. That'll tire you out, tire you out in a second. Fall into God's grace. Lean into God's love. This is going to finish by making it ultimately practical. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This is like one of the first uh, passages I ever memorized when I first came back to the Lord, 18 years old at Miami University. I just had gone the wrong way and kind of came back and said, Jesus, I got to try this Jesus thing again. I mean, I, everything else is just not working for me. I was in despair, completely riddled with addiction, anxiety, fear, didn't know who I was, didn't know how to live out my identity in Jesus in any way. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, <clears throat> no temptation has overtaken you. I, re- I memorized it, New American Standard, all right? Do it ever, any way you want. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man or woman, right? And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. 
but with the temptation will provide the way of escape. I checked the Greek. It says the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. The power to obey is resident within the command. Whatever it is that the enemy is trying to pull you into and say, here is life, here is life, here is life. Jesus is saying, all those false lives out there, no temptation is overtaking you. But such is, is common to man. Don't think you're special in your own temptation, okay? But God is faithful. Our whole series is based on God's faithfulness. His promises are based in his character. He's good. And he'll not allow you to be tempted beyond, with, beyond what you're able. But with the temptation is the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. How many times, I just, countless, thousands, millions of times to this day, I walk into life like the rest of you, dealing with temptation like the rest of you, come to a place where I can choose to obey or not, have said, okay, God, you promise that with the temptation is the way of escape. Jesus, where's the way? Where is it? There's got to be some way. That's real practical. You've got to do the application, but that is real practical. Boy, if we would pray that prayer about a thousand times this week, Jesus, where's the way of escape? We find grace there. We find hope. We find love. We find mercy. Abundance. Let's stand. Lynn, will you come and play? Here's how I want to end today. I'm, I'm not going to ask the ministry team to come forward, but I'm going to ask the ministry team to be present and aware, okay? I've asked Lynn if she would lead us in a, a song. And I want you to sing. Sing boldly, okay? While we're singing, if in any place in your life you need a fresh touch from the living water of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, I'm just going to ask you to just step out into the aisle. You don't need to scream about it. You don't need to come forward. Just step out into the aisle. By stepping out in the aisle while we're singing, you're saying, Jesus, I believe, but I need living water. I need your power. I need your satisfaction. And then the ministry team and anyone else who's not being touched in that way, we'll just come around and we'll just bless what God's doing in you. So if you, if you need Jesus' touch, again, power of the Holy Spirit, living water from within you, then while we're singing, just come out into the aisle. This will be our closing, and we'll minister to each other in the presence of God.